Thank you so much, Brian and the Wilson family band. Um, as you guys know, we're in a series um, on Advent, and it's called The In-Between. Um, when I sat down about a little bit over a month ago with Brian and Stephen, and we talked about this concept of being in-between, is we sit in this time of, of a pandemic, and we sit in this time of the holiday season. It's so easy for us to look back, uh, as Stephen talked about last week, and look back with these rose-colored glasses and see what we want. Um, in the past because it was comfortable and we knew what we could do. But immediately as we started talking about this idea of the in-between, my mind, the first thing I thought of was the upside down in Stranger Stranger Things. Uh, If you guys haven't seen the show Stranger Things, you are totally missing out. I am not a TV person, but it's actually the second show that I've watched um, so far beginning to end, uh, and the fourth season's coming out here soon. And if you haven't seen it, the the premise is there is this nine-year-old kid who is taken into this parallel universe, uh, this parallel dimension where it's unsafe, it's unsettled, he doesn't know what's going on, and he has to wait for his friends to try to come and to save him. Um, I won't do any spoils or anything if you haven't seen it. But as, as we think about this, I think this relates a lot to us. Since March, we have been stuck in this weird parallel universe where everything is, is unstable. It's unsettling. It's dark and we don't know what's going on. And all we can do is wait and hope for a vaccine. And we can look back and we can see all the things in life that we wanted to have, uh, that we had and that we want back. Um, And also, as Stephen touched upon last week, hope. We, We want this hope of things to go back and to move forward so things can be normal again. And I really wish that this was the case for a lot of us. And I think some of us do look forward in the future of, of the windshield through our lives. So we do have this hope that God is in control of all things and that ultimately he will come again and things will be made new. But I think there's another temptation in this. As, as Stephen talked about last week, um, we can look through the rear view mirror of our lives and we can see how things were and we really want them to be normal again. He used the, the example last week of the exodus of the Israelites who have been saved from legitimately slavery six weeks, six weeks later wanting to go back, back to Egypt. And we, and we feel some of that, but he talked about having this hope, this future-looking mindset of we know that Christ is coming. But I think that the other temptation as we look forward is not this hope that we have in Christ's coming. It's this idea that we want to be in control. We want to have everything back to normal. We look so far ahead to the future because ultimately we're going to be in control again. That's what we want. We want to be able to control if we can go and watch a movie in the theater or we can go and sit at a Rockies game. We want to be in control of everything in our life. We want to be autonomous. And since this control has been taken away, it's having terrible effects on us. And Rightly so. We've, we've never gone through anything like this before. We're still in week nine, sorry, we're in month nine or ten now of this pandemic, and it still feels like every day we're learning something new, and new things are happening, and new things are being taken from our control. And this is happening in my own life. You know, my, my time at Denver Seminary is uh, coming to a close here soon. Next December, I'll be graduating, and one of the main conversations that Ellie and I have are, Man, what are we going to do? Are we going to stay here in Denver? Are we going to go where she's from in California? Are we going to go on a new adventure? Am I going to be able to find work? 
What, what is life going to look like? And ultimately at the heart of all this is that I want to have control over what our future is. Me looking forward is not in this hope of, of God and what he's going to do. It's me wanting to hold on to control. And I think that you're probably feeling this too in some ways. And if you are, then you're, you're not alone. Um, the CDC has released some stats um, about what's going on within this world, um, about this anxiety and depression that a lot of us are facing. And it's resembling that of a, of a mental health crisis. From the earliest stats that I could get, that's the last week of October to the first week of November, um, there's a national average of 36 of us, 36% of Americans have symptoms of depression and anxiety. Over a third of us as a country do. If you're from the age of 18 to 29, if you're a millennial or in the upper half of, N, of Gen Z, it's 51%. A majority of us are struggling with anxiety and depression. And if you're from the age of 30 to 39, it's at 43. And Colorado is, sadly, out of, the, out of all the states, third in the whole nation with 40.5% of us having symptoms and depression and anxiety. And this is something that's challenging. And I think a lot of it is because our control has been taken away. And let's think about it. What do we have to feel anxious about? With a pandemic, there's quite a bit. Maybe you or, or someone that you know has lost your job and you're struggling to put food on the table. Or maybe your job is really struggling right now just with the nature of this pandemic. Or you could be on the other side of the spectrum where your job is doing really well and there's this immense pressure to get things done because business is booming and you have to keep up with the demand and you don't have control over what you do. And the holidays coming up are just adding to this pressure, right? The, the added pressure of the holiday season and what that looks like is normally a huge time of depression and anxiety in most. And throw on top of that this pandemic. Wondering if you'll be able to spend this holiday with your family. I have two really, really good friends who were planning to come home for Thanksgiving, but they both work with in healthcare. And in the week before Thanksgiving, they find out that one of the patients that they were seeing tested positive for COVID and they couldn't go and visit their family. There's someone else in this congregation I was talking to a few weeks ago of his dad is not doing really, really well at all. And this may be his last Thanksgiving. But he was trying to decide if, hey, can I go and see my dad for Thanksgiving? Possibly the last time, but I don't want to go there and bring a virus that could cause some serious damage or be deadly to him. These are the pressures that we're facing. So, of course, we're going to be struggling with anxiety and depression. Of course, that's what's happening. And I think there's a huge temptation for all of us to succumb to it and feel this anxiety what worry rule our lives and there's a temptation for each and every one of us here to let anxiety win to let anxiety rule our day to day and how we act but I think the scriptures tell us something a little bit different and I, I think that they give us hope they give us peace so as we, as we jump into this we're going to be in uh, Philippians 4 4 through 7 today um, but before we, we get into the meat of the verses, um, as Norton said, I am in seminary, and one of the most important things is you go over what the book's about. So just give me a couple minutes, and I'll explain to you a little bit about the context of this book. And I think 
understanding why Paul wrote this book will make it much more rich, make it much more personal, and it'll help us. So as, as we know, the Apostle Paul, uh, he wrote this book while he was actually in prison. He didn't write this from an ivory tower. He wrote this from a, a jail cell. And he wrote this towards the tail end of his life. He, he wrote to these, these people um, in Philippi because he was friends with them. He wrote to them to encourage them because they were being oppressed by this Roman government. They were being oppressed by them. And he wanted to write to them to encourage them to keep fighting the good fight. Don't stop. But he's also writing them to thank them because they donated quite heavily to his financial ministry. Paul knows these people well and he's writing to them from a jail cell and he longs to see them. His heart's broken and he's writing them knowing that he's probably never going to see them again. He's probably never going to see his friends. And I think us understanding that and that's how maybe some of us feel. He's not writing this from an ivory tower or from academia. He's writing this from a jail cell with a broken heart with tears on his letter to encourage and to challenge a people that he may never see again. And I think that that's where we need to remember. That's why we need to remember that Paul's writing this gift to them. As we look and we see, um, beginning here in, in verse, in verse 4, um, Paul states this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Um, he doesn't just, in fact, tell them this. He actually commands it. Um, this isn't an option. He's telling them to rejoice in the Lord always. And at the outset, this doesn't look too good, does it? Paul really seems to be this really annoying friend that we all have of whenever we come and tell him our problems, whenever we tell him the things that we're struggling with, he just somehow turns into Bob Marley and every little thing is going to be all right, um, which doesn't really help anything, if we're honest. Um, he, he comes, and at the surface, that's what he seems like he's saying. That, hey, I hear your problems, but hey, you need to have joy in the Lord and you need to praise him. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is that we need to have joy in the Lord because remember what he's done for you. That our joy, that our excitement is not contingent in circumstances. That's why Paul can say this from a prison cell. And he can say this to a group of people who are being oppressed and their faith is being persecuted. Because this joy that Paul is giving to us is not based on what's going on now. It's based on our hope in, in Christ, which we'll get to a little bit more here. Um, a really helpful quote is from the Bible Project, and I think they do a really good job of summing this up. They say that joy is an attitude God's people adopt. Not because of happy circumstances, because of their hope in God's love and promise. And when you think of someone who's joyful, when you think of someone who's joyful, my first thought goes to Dory in Finding Nemo. Uh, she is someone who is always happy, jovial, excited, and it doesn't matter where she's at. She could be in the jellyfish rally. She could be having a dinner with sharks. It doesn't matter where she's at. She's someone who experiences this deep joy in her. And I think we can kind of take something away from that. I think Paul wants us to look a little bit more like that than have this, this worry that we're so caught up in in our circumstances. But as we, as we continue on, Paul just doesn't stop at, at commanding people to rejoice 
He commands them that their gentleness be evident to all in, in the next verse in Philippians 4, verse 5. He says their gentleness may be evident to all. And what he's saying in this is, is the gentleness is really wrapped up in this compassion, this love, and this forgiving. He wants them to be compassionate, to be loving, and to forgive those around them. And Paul is not just talking about to other Christians within the church. He's talking about the oppressors that are persecuting these people. They're the suppression that they're facing is, is immense. And Paul's saying, hey, you need to be gentle towards them. You need to forgive them. You need to love them. And, and, we'll, and while we may not be facing this oppression, who in, in your life do you need to be more gentle towards? Maybe it's that coworker who's trying to climb his way to the top and in doing that, he's stepping on you and everyone else around you. Or maybe it's on the other side of the spectrum. It's the coworker who's really lazy and who doesn't get stuff done. And you're sick of them. But you need to still be gentle towards them. Or maybe it's someone within your family. It could be an in-law. Whenever you go over, politics is the first and only thing that is brought up, especially in this climate. How can you love show compassion and forgive them and be gentle towards them. Paul is saying this, remember, while he is likely chained to a Roman soldier. So I think he has someone in mind. I think you do too. How can you be gentle towards this person in your life? And after this, Paul just seemingly throws in a random statement. It doesn't make much sense. He just says, the Lord is near. Um, This reminds me of whenever I, I played soccer growing up and um, whenever I used to get out of the car, the first thing, sorry, the last thing that my, my parents said to me was, hey, play hard, go get them, win. It doesn't really make much sense in some regards of Israel leaving, um, and there's just this random statement thrown up. But I think it does make a lot of sense. These, these statements that we give are tied up in, in a lot of things. It's tied up in what you're trying to do. It's tied up in your hope. It's tied up in your desire. And since Paul doesn't connect this to what he's just said of don't be anxious about anything or what he's about to say. Uh, he doesn't tie this up within this idea of being gentle. Um, he doesn't tie it up with what he's about to say. He just throws in the statement here. And what the statement means, it could mean two things. It could mean that the Lord is near us and he is right here with us. He is present. The resurrected Christ is here with us. Or what he could mean is he's near us and he's coming back. We know that he is going to return one day because he's come once. And I think since Paul doesn't give any indication of which one it is, I think we have to mean it as both. What Paul is saying when he says the Lord is near is that he is around us, he is with us, he is present, and he's coming again. He's not going to leave us, he hasn't abandoned us, he's coming again. And this is the anchor for the rest of the passage that The gentleness that we must show is because God is here with us. We have his presence inside of us and he's coming back. So we can't forget that. And we have to be gentle. This is rooted in the fact that the Lord is near. Why should we worry about control here in this present time? Why should we be anxious and worried in this present time if he is here with us? And also, why in the future should we worry? Why in the future 
should we be concerned about what's going to happen if we know that he is coming back? There's nothing that we need to be worried about. So that makes sense why Paul, jumping here in this next verse, just says, do not be anxious about anything. And again, Paul seems to be kind of rude in all honesty. He seems to be kind of mean when he just says, do not be anxious about anything. Like Paul, we're being oppressed by the Romans. Paul, we don't know if we're going to be able to make it. Paul, we're living in a pandemic. Paul, we don't know how we're going to put food on the table. But I think there's a few things that we have to remember when Paul says this. He says this in jail. Do not be anxious about anything. He says this from a prison cell. And I think it's also important to note that Paul here is not speaking about a chemical imbalance in the brain or something like depression. He's not speaking about mental illness. He's not saying, hey, just get rid of it. That's not what he's saying here. What he is saying is stop worrying about the things that you can't control. Stop wanting to hold on and plan for things that you have no control over. And this is really hard. And that's why Paul continues on here in this next verse, and he says, But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Because ultimately, for Paul, anxiety is wrapped up with looking in ourselves. It's wrapped up in this idea of control. And that's why he says, in every situation, pray to God. Give your request to God. Because ultimately, he is the one in control. It's not us. Give your, give your anxiety, give your worry to the one who is in control. For Paul, it's, it's a paradigm shift of, of changing it from what we think that we have control over and giving it to the one who actually does. It's important that he gives this message of with thanksgiving. Because we're, this is all, again, tied up in the hope that the Lord is near. He is with us and we know that. So we can be thankful for the things that he has done for us. And we can look forward to the event that he is coming again. And we can sit in that and know in every situation he is in control. But let's, let's be really honest here. We don't want to do that. That doesn't sound easy. It doesn't sound fun. It's not what we want to do. And I think a large part of that is, is COVID has taken away all of our control. So whatever we have left, we really want to hold on to. COVID is this brand new thing that even for 10 months that we've been in it, it still feels like we're still learning so much and every passing day, stuff is being taken away. So we don't want to do this. We don't want to give up any control. But I think on the other side, one of the reasons why it's so hard is, is Americans, we're really individualistic and we like to hold on to things. We like to be self-autonomous and be in control of things. And that's really, really difficult. This is why I think this quote by Ben Witherington III is so helpful. He says, prayer is the antidote to worry. Instead of worrying, we should be praying. And while he gives this antidote, and it's a beautiful thing, really hard. Ultimately, for us to 
get out of being anxious. Ultimately, for us to get out of worrying, we need to take our eyes and and take them off of us and, and focus them on the one who is in control of all things. We need to focus on the creator. And this makes sense, but it's really hard. And I I think that I need to remind us and remind myself that the hardest things and the best thing in life is the one worth doing. As we continue on here and and look at uh, Philippians 4, verse 7, he says, In the peace of God which transcends all understanding. And this this is what gives us the hope. This is why when we pray and take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on God, it results in peace. This peace is with the paradigm shift. When we take our eyes off of ourselves and our desire to control and give it to the one who is in control of all things, that is when we get peace. And the reason this peace transcends all understanding is because it's not rooted in circumstance. It's not rooted in money, social status, and whoever won the election, your political affiliation. It's not rooted in anything here. It's rooted in the fact that the Lord is near, that he has come once, he is present with us, and that he will come again. It doesn't make any sense to the outside world how Paul can be saying this from jail or saying this to a group of people who are being oppressed or how he can say it to us who are living in the middle of a pandemic and are trying to figure things out. He can say that you can have peace. You can have this peace. There's a really helpful quote for peace, which is um, defined by Leon Morrison um, in The Atonement. He says, peace means breaking down the barriers between man and God. Peace means the presence of God, rich and abundant blessing. Peace is the presence of God. Christ is our peace. And this quote makes, makes total sense, right? The breaking down the barrier between man and God, that's us taking our own desire for control, taking what we want and giving it to God the presence of his rich and abundant blessing because he is here with us. And ultimately, this peace is rooted within Christ. Think of the last time that you have experienced peace. Were you concerned and worried about yourself and your situation and what you wanted to do? Or was it anchored in thinking about others or thinking about God knowing that he is in control? When I was in, in high school, I had a Facebook, which I don't any longer, but when I had my Facebook, I really liked to post quotes that I think were not even inspirational, but just were good quotes. Um, and most of the time, I didn't even know who these people were. I just thought it was fun. Um, part of it was probably because I wanted to look like the cool Christian kid, whatever that even means. But one of the, the quotes that I po- posted was by Jimi Hendrix, who, in my opinion, is one of the best guitar players of all time. Um, talk about that later. I'm not the biggest musician, but he is awesome. When he says, the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. And that's a really great quote. I think it's something that we 
could all put somewhere, whether it's on a Facebook wall or on a t-shirt or something. It's one of those cool coffee mug refrigerator quotes. But I think the piece that Paul's talking about here is much bigger than this. For, for Jimi Hendrix, it's, it's about something has to change. The love of power has to go away. Something has to change. But for Paul, and what he's saying to us right now is that peace is not contingent on any circumstance. It's not contingent on what's around you. It's contingent solely on the fact that Christ has come. That Christ is here and that he will come again. And when we take our eyes off of ourself and we put them on that reality, the result, the result in our life is peace. And finally, to conclude this section, Paul ends with, with this, of this peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Paul is really intentional here of saying guard your hearts and your minds of your heart was the seat of your emotion. It's what led to all of your emotions that you're feeling. And your mind is your volition. It's what makes you make decisions. It's where you decide your actions come from. So saying both these of this peace is not just this, this warm, fuzzy inner, inner feeling that we're going to feel. What this peace is going to do is it's going to guard our hearts from the emotion that we don't want to experience. It's going to guard our hearts from the anxiety, from the worry, from the stress. And it's also going to guard our minds from our actions, the stuff that we don't want to do. The lust, the theft, the actions that break those around us. Taking our eyes off of ourselves and putting them on God is not just this, this fuzzy feeling of peace, but there's a real world application of it's going to help you become the person that you want to become. It's going to help you become more like Christ himself. I think this passage has a lot of things that are applicable to us right now. And the first is, why are you so desperate to control? What are you worried about? Is it your family? Is it your health? Is it your business? Maybe it's your family's health? Ultimately, what we need to do is we need to take our eyes off of ourselves and realize that we can't control most of this. We need to give it to the one who is in control. Through prayer and thanksgiving, we need to give it to God. So the first thing I, I want to ask you guys to do this week is the first thing you do when you wake up is pray and give your stress and your anxiety for the day to God. So that you don't have to live in this worry, you don't have to live in this fear, but you can live in the peace and wholeness knowing that, man, God is in control. The second application point I want to give to y'all is take an attitude of thanksgiving. Realize that all the good things that we have, the fact that we're even here today and can meet on Zoom or on YouTube is rooted in the fact that Christ has allowed us to have this. Let's be thankful to him because he has given us all of this. Let's show that um, through our prayer and through the way that we interact with others. So this week, I, I want you guys to pray, whether it's at lunch or as you're going to bed tonight, and just thank the Lord for either this sandwich or this meal that you're eating, 
And remember that that even comes from him. Or tonight, thank God for everything that he has given to you. This life that we have together. I also think it's really important for us to, to practice gentleness to those around us. We all have someone that, that came to mind earlier, and I think that we need to be gentle for them. We need to be compassionate and loving and forgiving to them. And again, this will be different within every single circumstance. But what you need to do is be gentle towards them and pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you in how you should be gentle towards them. And finally, I think that we need to remember that the Lord is near, that he is here with us. His presence is here because he has come, he has died, and he has resurrected, and he sent us his Holy Spirit. And we need to be akin and know to that. We need to be in the know to that. But also we need to live, especially this time of Advent, in the sense of longing that he will return. He's coming back. And we need to live our lives as if he's coming back soon. And I think the best way that we can remember that the Lord is near is, is through the taking of communion. And what communion is, is remembering the fact that Christ came once. And he came and he died and he poured out his life as a sacrifice to us so that we can be rightly restored with God and we can have a relationship with him. And the fact that he's coming again we can celebrate this and remember the fact that he is coming again and all things will be made new. So as you come to the communion table, let's come experience this, these means of grace. Let's come to meet the resurrected Christ here at the table. Um, and we're about to do a, a slide of communal confession, but I think after that, take a minute and pray and give your anxiety and your worries to God so that you may experience peace with him through communion. Let's say this confession slide together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not moved, sorry, we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.